PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to the CrickCast from Physical Therapy. Each month, PTJ Editor-in-Chief Dr. Rebecca Crick offers her take on the articles appearing in this month's PTJ. Here is Rebecca Crick. Hello, this is Becky Crake, Editor-in-Chief of Physical Therapy. I am delighted to welcome you to the November issue. In the United States, we're coming up close to Thanksgiving, a time to give thanks, and I am particularly thankful that our government is no longer shut down and that the debt ceiling has been raised at least until January. So take a moment and think about what's good in your life. This November issue is packed. There are 13 different articles, and so I'm going to zoom through them, but I hope that each of you find something of interest. The first article is a LEAP article, which I think you remember as linking evidence and practice. And this LEAP article is entitled, Using a Treadmill Intervention to Promote the Onset of Independent Walking in Infants with or at Risk of Neuromotor Delay. The authors are Beth Smith and Aaron Bogiani. The authors say... Look at what these systematic reviews conclude. Make sure that the findings of that systematic review relate to your patient. And if they don't relate to the patient, it doesn't mean that you have to reject the idea. You can still consider the idea as a possibility, but recognize that there's not evidence to support it. It's then up to you to look at your own rationale for selecting that particular intervention. So I'm really grateful to these authors for a thoughtful LEAP article. The next paper is entitled Acupuncture in Subacute Stroke, No Benefits Detected. The authors are Zhu and colleagues from Nanjing Medical University in China. The use of acupuncture in persons post-stroke is not uncommon in China, but I want to emphasize something in particular about the study. The acupuncture description is spectacular. You know exactly where the points were that were used, the frequency with which the needles were used, whether they were in the scalp or the body. It is so well described. I really hope that at some point we get to the point of describing physical therapist intervention in the detail that these authors use for their acupuncture. The next paper is called Survey of Reporting Characteristics of Systematic Reviews in Rehabilitation. This is a team from Italy and Canada. The first author is Silvia Gianola. The authors are reporting the quality of systematic reviews in 2011. What they found was, as we would expect, heterogeneity in reporting. For physical therapy, there's a checklist. We use preferred reporting item for systematic review and meta-analysis, and it's abbreviated as PRISMA. I encourage you to look at this article to identify flaws that were found. And also, when doing a systematic review, please pay careful attention to the instructions for authors. The next article is a secondary analysis, and the title of the paper is Participation Following Total Knee Replacement, the MOST, M-O-S-T, Cohort Study. MOST stands for Multicenter Osteoarthritis Study. What these authors did was examine the role of participation in recovery. Now, many of you know that we're very comfortable as physical therapists talking about body structure and function 
and restrictions to body structure and function. When it comes to participation, however, we get a little bit uncomfortable because we don't have that many tools that assess participation and we really haven't thought about it as much as we probably should. So I think this work is incredibly relevant to practice. First of all, the authors give a very nice description of their participation tool, which I encourage us to start to think about adopting. And in addition, they talk about modifiable factors that physical therapists might be able to address to enhance participation in people post-total knee replacement. The next paper is entitled Comparing Two Motor Assessment Tools to Evaluate Neurobehavioral Intervention Effects in Infants with Very Low Birth Weight at One Year. The authors are from Amsterdam, and the team is led by Von Hoos. This paper is a secondary analysis of a larger study. The investigators were interested in finding out which tool was better, the AIMS, which is the Alberta Infant Motor Scale, or the Psychomotor Development Index of the Bailey Scales, which tool is better at detecting motor delay in children with very low birth weight and which was more responsive to intervention. And basically what the authors concluded is that the AIMS is a better tool. The next paper is entitled Discriminative Validity of Metabolic and Workload Measurement for Identifying People with Chronic Fatigue Syndrome. Christopher Snell and his colleagues are from the University of the Pacific in California. Since fatigue is a common symptom in a person with chronic fatigue syndrome, how do you separate the normal fatigue, which usually occurs post-exercise, from the debilitating fatigue that persons have with chronic fatigue syndrome? Basically, what they recommend is doing a cardiopulmonary exercise test. And here's what they're proposing happens. When we all have a cardiopulmonary exercise test, we're commonly fatigued afterwards, but 24 hours later, we feel better. Persons with chronic fatigue are still fatigued at 24 hours afterwards. Therefore, if you do a second test 24 hours later, they're going to do much worse than the person without chronic fatigue. And what they found supported their hypothesis. The next paper is entitled Expanding the Scoring System for the Dynamic Gait Index. The team is led by Anne Shumway-Cook, whom many of you know. This is a fun study because the authors like the Dynamic Gait Index, which measures the capacity of the person to adapt their gait to complex tasks but they feel that the test isn't as sensitive or discriminating as it could be and that in some cases it has a ceiling effect. So the authors set about trying to enhance the dynamic gait index, which we're now going to end up with a little M for modified DGI. I'm not going to tell you about the study, but the bottom line is that they really do provide evidence to support the use of the modified DGI. The next paper is entitled A Rash-Validated Version of the Upper Extremity Functional Index for Interval-Level Measurement of Upper Extremity Function. The authors are Hamilton and Chesworth. Both are at Western University in Ontario, Canada. As a result of the evaluation performed on the UEFI, the test went from a 20 to a 15 item interval test that appears in the author's opinions to have better properties than the DASH, which I think many of us are familiar with. 
So if you are a proponent of the DASH, you might want to read this paper and consider using the UEFI 15 as an alternate tool. And if you're interested in learning more about rash analysis, I really encourage you to read this paper. The next paper is entitled Preliminary Assessment of Balance with Berg Balance Scale in Adults Who Have Leg Amputation and Dwell in the Community. Again, a rash rating scale analysis. The authors have a very good point. Can we just take the Berg Balance Scale, which most of us know is a scale that's used in older adults with or without neurologic disease, can this scale be used with persons with amputation? And the bottom line is yes. What's really interesting to think about is how is this test going to examine patients who, for example, have myoelectric prostheses? The evolution of prosthetic devices has been incredible. So while there were problems in performance with some persons with amputation, it will be interesting to see if persons with different type of prosthetic devices would have similar limitations. So stay tuned. The next paper is entitled, The Steep Ramp Test in Dutch White Children and Adolescents, Age and Sex-Related Normative Values. First author is Bongers. Bongers and colleagues come from the Netherlands. The Steep Ramp Test is a test that does not require cardiopulmonary exercise testing, meaning not sampling blood gases, but rather looking at peak workload. In this article, the authors provide normative data for children ranging in age from 8 to 19 years of age. The next paper is entitled Factors Associated with Paraspinal Muscle Asymmetry in Size and Composition in a General Population Sample of Men. The authors are 14 et al. from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. This is going to be a podcast, so I don't want to steal their thunder. I would tell you that it's a twin study, which I think is interesting, and the rationale for looking at paraspinal muscle asymmetry is many physical therapists notice that a person has asymmetry of paraspinal muscles and assumes, sometimes incorrectly, that the asymmetry is because of related low back pain, when in fact, paraspinal muscle asymmetry to some degree is present in the population. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast. The next study is entitled An Image-Based Gait Simulation Study of Tarsal Kinematics in Women with Hallux Valgus. The authors include Glasso and Paula Ludwig. They're examining the tarsal kinematics in women and they're simulating gait. They're not able to perform gait because of the methods that they're using, but they simulate gait. The bottom line for this study is because of the findings, they really feel that it's possible that alterations in tarsal alignment may be correctable with non-operative treatment. That's a hypothesis that emerges from the study. The last paper is entitled Effect of Selected Manual Therapy Interventions for Mechanical Neck Pain on Vertebral and Internal Carotid Arterial Blood Flow and Cerebral Inflow. As many of you who perform or study manual therapy know, there's big controversy about the high-velocity thrust manipulation potentially causing damage to the blood vessels in the neck. 
And this has been a long-standing controversy. Well, I think this is a very good beginning to address this question. This is only a beginning, in my opinion, because the subjects are very young and they are without neck problems. And that concludes our November issue. As I started with, I encourage you to take a moment to be grateful for something wonderful. And there are many of us here in the United States who are very grateful that we'll be receiving our checks from the NIH. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for Dr. Craig, email ptj at apta.org. And be sure to include CraigCast in the subject line. This is a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.